you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible uses many analogies to depict the Christian life. In Romans chapter 6, we're depicted as slaves in relationship to a master. In Romans chapter 7 and Ephesians 5, the Christian life is depicted as a marriage. In 1 Corinthians 9.26, it's depicted as a boxing match. In Ephesians chapter 6, it's a warfare. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we are likened to several things, a son, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, a laborer, a vessel. Well, in the passage before us this morning, we have the Christian life depicted as a race. Notice verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now this morning, I simply want to pick out seven elements of this great race. I've listed them in your bulletin. Element number one is the challenge. Now the main statement in verse one, if you remove all the clauses, is this. Therefore, let us run the race. Now that's an exhortation. And that is the challenge. The challenge is for us to run. If you're not a Christian here this morning, the challenge for you is that the Christian life is a race and you enter that race by being born again. You enter that race by faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're not in the race, get in the race. He just gave us a whole chapter full of examples of faith and what faith is and how faith works. Now you take that same kind of faith and entrust your life to Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, the challenge for you is the Christian life is a race and you are in it. So run. Now a lot of us need this exhortation, don't we? I think some of us think the Christian life is a ride rather than a race. Some of us are sitting in a hammock. And I'm going to get John for that picture earlier. This is the Christian life. I've got a hammock and I'm comfortable and I'm resting and I'm waiting till I go to heaven. This passage tells me that the Christian life is a race. And the challenge is to run. Now some of us are trotting. Some of us are jogging. Some of us are walking. Some of us are crawling. Some of us are sitting. Some of us are actually going backwards. The Christian life is not a cakewalk. The Christian life is not a casual stroll. It's a race. And the Greek word for race is the word agon, from which we get our word agony. It's a race that requires putting out something. It is strenuous. It takes every ounce of our energy. And so the challenge this morning for you is run. 
Second element is the course. The type of race that is in mind here is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's not a 100-yard dash. When my, my son Ryan ran track at Jackson and Southeast, and, and he ran the 100 meters. It's great as a parent when your kid runs the 100 meters because you only have to pay attention for about 11 seconds. <laughs> you can talk and chat and hang around and, and then you've got to focus for the sprint. But this run is not a sprint. It's a long-distance race. You say, well, Dan, how do you know it's a marathon? Well, look what he says. He says, run with endurance. Don't run 100 meters and then stop and grab your shorts. Run with endurance. He's saying, keep going. A lot of Christians think the Christian life is a sprint. They take off and they're doing great and they're flying out of the blocks and they're moving on and you see them tear up the track. And then you get up a little ways and you find they've collapsed and run out of steam. He says, run with endurance. See, that was the problem with the people he was writing to in the first century. These Christians had started out very well. They had heard the word from the from the apostles and they were going strong and then they ran into some persecution and they started to slow down and some of them stopped and some of them were actually going backwards to Judaism. And so he says to them, run with endurance. I think we need that exhortation today. I think we as Christians need to be challenged to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul uses the same analogy of the Christian life being a race in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And there in verse 24 he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And we have a lot of marathons today, and sometimes people enter the marathons just to enter. Sometimes people enter the marathon just to see if they can finish. Like I was told the other day that, that uh, there are some people that enter marathons and they just walk the entire marathon. You know, they're closing down the stands and it's getting dark and everything and these people are showing up at the finish line. They just wanted to see if they could finish. But then there are other people that enter marathons and they're up at the front when the race starts and they're there to win. What are you doing in the Christian race? Are you running to win? Are you going all out? Or are you just satisfied to be in the race? I guess I don't understand how a person can be satisfied to be an also-ran in God's race. We need the challenge to run with endurance. And then I want you to notice something else about the course. Not only is it a marathon, but the end of verse 1 calls it the race that is set before us. Now what does that mean? Well, that means 
that we don't define the course, God does. It's the race that is set before us. If you go in a marathon and they, you stand at the starting line and they shoot the gun and you head off in some other direction from the direction everybody else is going, you're going to be disqualified from the race because the course is already laid out ahead of time. In fact, if you notice verse 2, he uses this same phrase. He talks about Jesus and he talks about the joy set before him. Just as the joy was set before Jesus, the race is set before you and me. You see, God is the sovereign one who sets the course for each of us just as he set the course of the cross for Jesus. And I think if you're going to run with endurance, it's essential that you understand that it's God who lays out the course. Because there are going to be parts of the course that you don't like. There are going to be parts of the course that cause you to grumble. You're going to say, well, why is the course going up this hill? Why am I over here in this swamp? Why am I running against the wind? And in those times when the course gets difficult, you have to understand by faith that I submit myself to the fact that it's God's course, not my course. Third is the crowd. I never liked cross-country running. I only did it when the basketball coach told me I had to. And I think the reason was because there's no crowd in cross-country running. You know, I, I, need, I need a crowd. I need the motivation. I need the encouragement. I need the immediate feedback. Well, he tells us here that there's a crowd. Look at verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. You see, in this race, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, who's this cloud of witnesses? Well, he's talking about the people he mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. All those men and women who live by faith. You have a whole chapter full of examples of faith. You have Enoch, who walked with God for 300 years. You have Noah, who built a boat for over a hundred years. You have Abraham who wandered in tents for his entire life. You have David who took down Goliath with a slingshot. He says you've got all this cloud of witnesses surrounding you. I don't know about you, but sometimes in the Christian life you feel like you're all alone. I, I'm doing this thing and, and I'm out here on an island and it seems like there's nobody else around and I'm not getting any encouragement. And he says, just look around. You are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. These are people who have already been through the race. They've already finished the course. And now they're encouraging you. Kind of neat when you have the, the stands filled with veterans who have already gone through the race. You know, I like to view this as a stadium where I'm on the track running around and the, the stands are filled with all these people who have already run the race and finished. It's an unusual stadium. Someone described a football stadium 
as 50,000 people badly in need of exercise watching 22 people badly in need of a rest. This is a unique stadium because everybody sitting in the, in the crowd has already run the race. They've already finished the race and they're yelling encouragement to you. Go, go, go. Sometimes people ask me whether I think that believers in heaven can see us. Really no verse to confirm that, but you know, this passage sort of implies that idea. It says we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. I read one commentator who said that he didn't think that was the case because if all these people were watching, he wouldn't be motivated. He would be petrified. But you know, it's interesting to me, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, it tells us that the angels are watching us. So I didn't, don't think it'd be a big stretch to have believers in heaven watching us as well. And they're encouraging us to run with endurance. And then fourthly, we have the conditioning. If we're going to run with endurance, we need some conditioning. We need some training. We need some preparation. And notice verse 1. It says, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. We're to lay aside two things. Every encumbrance and the sin. Now that word encumbrance means a weight, a bulk, a mass. In order to be effective as a runner, I need to get rid of any excess weight. You'll have to look long and hard to find a serious runner who's overweight. There's something out of place about going to a track meet and and, and, and going around the milers and they're taking off their warm-ups and this guy takes off his warm-ups and he's got a big pot belly. It just, it just doesn't seem right. He's not going to carry extra weight because he's serious about running. And not only do runners put off excess weight on their body, they don't wear any excess weight. They may wear a bulky outfit to the meat, but they take all that off when they run. In fact, runners wear, you know, the skimpiest little shorts you can imagine in those feather-light tops. I mean, they hardly have anything on. They look like the guy across the street when he comes out at 6 a.m. to get the newspaper in the morning. They got practically nothing on. They, they have taken everything off that would slow them down. Well, you are in the greatest race of all. And my question to you this morning is, what are you laying aside? What, what have you put aside that's slowing you down so that you can run with endurance? Imagine you're in the Boston Marathon and you're up at the front. They're about to shoot the gun to start and you're standing there next to those lean muscular Kenyan guys on one side and then you got a bunch of skinny Americans on the other side and then there's you. You're fat and flabby. You've got a parka on. You're wearing army boots. 
you got a 50-pound pack on your back? I said, what's in the pack? And you said, well, i got sodas and Twinkies. They're going to help me get through the race. Well, you see, somebody would need to come up to you and say, man, you need to lay down some of that weight if you're really going to run. And that's what the writer's saying to us here. You need to put aside every weight that would slow you down. The Christian life, what is it that's weighing you down? What is it that is slowing you down? It doesn't have to be bad. If you'll notice here, he says, you're to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin. He makes a distinction here. So these encumbrances, these weights, are not wrong in and of themselves. They're simply hindering you in the race. You see, a serious marathon runner gives up a great deal. Nothing wrong with Twinkies, but he doesn't eat them. There's nothing wrong with hot fudge sundaes, but he's not eating them. There's nothing wrong with a parka, but he's not going to wear it. You see, he's going to put aside things. They aren't necessarily wrong, but because he's serious about running the race, he's going to lay aside those things that would weigh him down. For these Jews in the first century, their main weight was legalism. They started out understanding grace, and now they were turning back to Judaism, and they were putting on the weight of legalism, all the rules and all the regulations. Church in Galatia had that same problem. Paul says to them in Galatians 3.3 that they began by the Spirit, and now they were trying to be perfected by the flesh. They started out with it being a miraculous work of God and now they were trying to work it all out in their flesh. And Paul says something interesting to them in Galatians 5, 7. He says, you were running well. Same analogy. You were running well. Who hindered you? They were running well and then they decided to pick up this weight of legalism. All the rules and all the regulations and all the rituals. It's like starting out on a race and then deciding you're going to fill your your book bag with bricks and put it on your back and carry it with you. Well, let me ask you something personal this morning. What are the weights that are slowing you down in your Christian life? You say, well, I don't know. Well, let me help you. You may be saying, well, you know, Dan, I don't have time to read my Bible every day. I don't have time. I, I don't seem to find time to read my Bible every day. Well, let me ask you this. Do you read the newspaper? Yeah. Okay. Lay aside the newspaper and read the Word of God. It's real simple. You say, but Dan, I need to keep abreast of what's going on in the world. Really? Where does the Bible say that? Look up the word abreast in the concordance. See if you can find a verse. It doesn't tell you you need to keep abreast of what's going on in the world. You know what it does tell you? It does tell you like a newborn baby 
You're to long for the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Maybe you don't have time to read anything in the morning because you don't wake up early enough. You sleep through your alarm. Then you need to be laying aside whatever it is you're doing late at night that's keeping you up. You need to lay aside David Letterman. You need to lay aside ESPN. You need to lay aside playing video games at night. You need to lay aside being on the internet. Those are encumbrances. You see, if your goal is to be a spiritual couch potato, fine. But if you're running to win, you've got to make some choices. You've got to lay aside some weights. You've got to decide whether you're going to love sleep more than you love God. Christians often ask the wrong question in this area. You may be asking, well, what's wrong with this movie? What's wrong with these friends? What's wrong with this activity? Nothing. But that's the wrong question. The question is not what's wrong with this activity. The question should be, what's so great about it? What's this thing doing for me that is conditioning me for the only race in life that really matters? What is this activity doing for me that is helping me run better in the Christian race? And then not only are we to lay aside every encumbrance, and I underline that word. He doesn't say lay aside some weights. He says lay aside every weight. But he also says we're to lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. The idea is something that kind of gets wrapped up around our legs and causes us to not be able to move. Trips us up. Now it's interesting in the Greek, the article is in front of this word sin, so it's the sin. Some commentators think it's talking about one sin for all Christians, and in the context, the sin would be the opposite of faith, which would be unbelief. So he's saying we need to lay aside the unbelief. But personally, I think he calls it the sin because I find that every Christian has a particular sin that continues to trip them up. And the sin may be different for you than it is for you or you or you. But when I say lay aside the sin in your life, you know what it is. For you, it may be pride. For you, it may be anger. For you, it may be lust. But there's a vulnerability there. There's a sin that has a repeating element in your life and it seems to continually trip you up. And the writer says, I want you to lay aside that sin that keeps tripping you up in the race for God. I was talking to somebody recently. I told them what they needed to do and they said, my pride won't let me do that. I said, well, you just told me what your problem is. You need to lay aside your pride. You want your pride? No, I don't want my pride. 
Lay aside your pride. Humble yourself and do what God's telling you to do. See, if we're making the excuse, my sin won't let me do that, then the writer says we need to lay aside our sin in order to run the race with endurance. And then fifth is the concentration. I never ran a whole lot, but what do you look at when you run? I'm no expert on running, but I would say to you that if you look at your feet when you're running, you will soon be lying next to them. When you run, you can't look down. You have to focus on something, a focal point, for you to run at. And in the Christian race, the focal point is in the beginning of verse 2. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. When we run, we look at Jesus. You know, athletes always talk about being in the zone or getting in a zone. Uh, I played baseball and basketball. I, I, I was an average athlete. but I had a capacity to get in a zone every once in a while. I couldn't really explain it. I, normally I was average, but sometimes I would get in a zone and I didn't notice the crowd anymore. I didn't notice the other players anymore. It looked like the basket was as big as a swimming pool. Couldn't miss my shots. I was in a zone. I was focused. And he says in the Christian life, we're to run and the zone we're to get in is we're to focus on Jesus. Peter did that when he walked on the water. I mean, he was in a zone. Talk about being in a zone. He's walking along on top of the water. And then he got out of the zone and began to sink. What happened? The Bible says he started looking at the waves and the wind instead of looking at Jesus. You see, in the Christian life, I'm not only average, I'm helpless. But I can get in a zone by looking at Jesus and accomplish things in the race that I could never accomplish myself. And so he says, in the Christian race, don't look at yourself. A lot of Christians look at themselves all the time. I have Christians that are always asking me, how do you think I'm doing? If you ask me that enough times, I'm going to tell you. I think you're looking at yourself. You're worried too much about yourself. The focus, it's not all about you. The only way to grow is to get the attention off of you. Don't look at yourself. Look at the Lord. And don't look at others, comparing yourself with how you're doing with others. Don't look back to see if anybody's gaining on you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And it's amazing spiritually when you get in that zone where you're just focused on Him and He's providing and you're doing things that you never anticipated you could do in the spiritual realm. That's the concentration. And then sixth is the culmination. He goes on in verse 2 to say, Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That word author is also used in chapter 2 and verse 10. It's a word that means pioneer or leader. 
And the word perfecter means the completer. He took faith right to the limit, right to the end, right to the extreme. And so what he's saying is when it comes to faith, Jesus is the A to Z. Now some of your Bibles say, say our faith. The word our is not there in the original. It's actually faith. I don't think he's talking so much about our faith, although this is true about our faith. The Bible says, He who began a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he does this for us. But what he's talking about here is Jesus himself, and what he's saying is that Jesus is the greatest example of faith. You say, you mean Jesus lived by faith? Absolutely. He spent his whole life trusting the Father. In fact, earlier in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 13, we have a quote from the Son to the Father, and he says, I will put my trust in Him. Even the mockers on the cross understood that about Jesus. In Matthew 27, 43, they say, He trusts in God. Let Him deliver Him now. He lived His whole life in obedient faith in the Father. Even in the garden when He said, Not my will, but Thine be done. What was that? That was an expression of faith. He is the ultimate example, and he describes that as he goes on in verse 2. He says, Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus ran the race of faith. He endured the cross, the agony, the pain, the suffering. There is no greater example of endurance than Jesus. And I love what it says here. It says, He despised the shame. Now, what does that mean? Well, dying on a cross was the most shameful death imaginable. Even in the first century, Roman citizens were exempt by ancient law from being crucified on a cross. Cicero said, let the very mention of the cross be far removed, not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his eyes, his ears most shameful form of death. And of course, Jesus died a death that exceeds the physical aspect. He was God of very God taking on our sin, and there was a shame of that on top of the physical shame of dying. And yet it says here that He despised the shame. That word despised is the same phrase used in 1 Timothy 4.12 where Paul tells Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness. To despise means to think lightly of, to look down on. Jesus went to the cross and He looked at the shame and He thought lightly of it because it wasn't even worthy to be considered. In other words, it says He not only endured the cross, He taunted the shame. Now, how did he do that? Well, it says, by faith he looked to the joy set before him. The shame of the cross was not worthy of consideration because he was looking beyond the cross to the joy. Now, what was the joy? Well, one aspect of the joy was his own exaltation, but I don't think that's the real emphasis here because, you know, Jesus had that glory before He came into the world. 
In fact, he says in John 17 in his prayer to the Father in verse 5, Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Give me my glory back. That was something he already had. So what was the joy of the cross? It wasn't his glory. You know what it was? It was our glory. It was the joy of his exaltation, but it was really the joy of our salvation. Earlier in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, talks about him bringing many sons to glory. The joy of the cross was not Jesus' exaltation and glory because he had already had that before. It was the fact that he was going to provide that for you and me. And what was the outcome of his faith? What was the culmination of his faith? Look at the last phrase in verse 2. And has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Victory, triumph, exaltation. What an example we have in the race. We're to run with endurance looking to Jesus who has been through anything and everything you'll go through and far more. He is the great pioneer. He is the great perfecter of faith. He is the ultimate example. He went all the way to the cross. And where is He now? He's sitting. Not running anymore. He's sitting in the most exalted place in the universe. At the right hand of the throne of God. Now to put that in perspective, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 20, it tells us that Jesus is our forerunner. That means He went through the cross and is now exalted to blaze a trail for us to follow. That's really the course of the race. Through the cross into glory. Jesus made an interesting promise in Revelation 3.21. He said, He who overcomes... I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne just as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Wow. Just as I overcame and sat down on my father's throne, I offer you that same promise if you overcome. How do you overcome? 1 John 5, 4 says, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. How do I overcome? By faith in Jesus Christ. So we have the same joy set before us. So since we have all the saints in chapter 11 to motivate us, Let's put the weights aside and put aside the sin that entangles us and let's run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus who endured all the way to the cross and is now exalted. You see, if you're going to look at Jesus, you're going to have to look up because He is exalted. That's where the course leads. That's the culmination. And then finally, we see the calculation. Look at verse 3. <coughs> Excuse me. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary 
and lose heart. That word consider is a word that's only used this one place in the New Testament. It's a word that means to calculate. And I think he's telling us to calculate a couple things. Number one, you need to calculate the difference between your suffering and Jesus' suffering. See, when you're losing heart and you're getting discouraged, he says in verse 3, consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself. And then notice what he says in verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. When you're in the race and you're saying, I can't go any further, I'm suffering too much, I can't endure this persecution, it's too difficult. Do some calculations. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ and see what He suffered for you and then put your suffering into perspective. You probably haven't suffered to the point of being nailed to a cross yet. So you can still endure. And then there's a second aspect to this calculation. And that is, I think He's telling us to do what Jesus did. Jesus got to the cross and He sort of balanced the two. He said, here's the cross and here's the joy. There's really no comparison. He's telling you to do the same thing. He's telling you to look at your cross. What is your cross? Death to self. Persecution. Pain, difficulty, whatever that brings. Hostility. Consider your cross in light of the joy of eternally being with Christ on His throne. And when you do that calculation, there's no comparison. It's worth it. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Run with endurance. Keep going. Let me close by making some application. Number one, you can't run the race if you haven't entered it. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ yet, then you're not even in the race. So I invite you this morning to come by simple childlike faith to the One who died for the joy of bringing you to glory. Second application. If you're weary in the race, maybe you need to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles you. Someone has pointed out that gold is just as heavy as lead. So if you're trying to carry the world's treasures while you run, you're going to get tired. We need to lay those things aside. Third application. Maybe you're grumbling about the course God has set before you. Maybe like the end of chapter 11, you look at others who are putting foreign armies to flight and they're receiving back their dead by resurrection while you're wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground and you're saying, it's not fair. You need to submit to the sovereign hand of God who sets different courses for His children according to His purposes. And then fourth and finally, if you're not in the zone, maybe you need to refocus on Jesus and the joy of His promises for you in the future.
Paul was nearing the finish line when he said these words in 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. Same idea. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And then he added this. And not only me, but also to all who have loved His appearance. When we run with our eyes fixed on Jesus, loving and longing for His appearing, we will run with endurance. We will finish the course and we will experience the joy set before us. I'm going to have the praise team come back. We're going to sing a song in closing and this song really is a statement of our commitment to the Lord because the way